ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the chapter regarding magic we got up to the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama qala ijtanibu as-sab' al-mubiqat qalu ya rasulullah wa ma hunna qala ash-shirku billah al-hadith so here then we have the narration of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu he said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said ijtanibu as-sab'a al-mubiqat ijtanibu meaning abandon stay away from keep distanced from separated from ijtanibu Ijtanibu ay ibtaidu meaning stay away from and distanced from and separated from Ijtanibu ablagh min la taf'alu li'anna al-ijtinab ya'ni tark al-shay wa tark al-asbab al-musilah ilayh So in the hadith the Prophet ﷺ is going to warn against some of the major sins. But the Messenger didn't phrase this hadith by saying, do not engage in, and then the seven sins. Rather, instead of saying, do not engage in such and such, he said, ijtanibu from those sins. Because saying ijtanibu means to be separated and distanced and far from those sins and from the means that can lead to those sins. So it is not just about staying away from those sins it is about staying away from those sins and the means that can take you towards those sins. And that is like in the Quran where it mentions, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina." Do not go near fornication. Meaning the actual act is haram. But then also, لَا تَقْرَبُوا do not go near it, meaning the means to it. Stay away from those two. So sometimes you see in the texts, it is not just a warning or prohibition from the actual act. It is more than that. It sometimes speaks about staying away from the means that lead to a particular act also 
because by staying away from those means, then you have a greater safeguarding from that particular action itself. So here the messenger says, Ijtanibu al-mubiqat. Stay well away and far away and distance from the seven destructive sins. As-sab'a al-mubiqat, the seven destructive sins. Qalu ya Rasulullah, wa ma hunna? They said, O Messenger of Allah, what are they? Meaning, what are these seven destructive sins? ما هي هذه السبع حتى نتجنبها They were asking, O Messenger, what are these seven sins so that we can stay away from them? لأن الإنسان لا يمكن يتجنب شيء إلا بعد أن يعرفه Because a person cannot stay away from something until, unless you know what the thing is to stay away from. As they say, كَيْفَ يَتَّقِي مَنْ لَا يَعْرِفْ مَا يَتَّقِي How can somebody safeguard himself from an affair if he doesn't know what the affair is to safeguard himself from? If you don't know what you're supposed to be protecting yourself from, then how are you going to protect yourself from it if you don't know what it is? So here the companions, they ask the Prophet wasallam, what are these seven then? فَفِي هَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَىٰ الْمُسْلِمِ أَنْ يَسْأَلَ عَنِ الْأُمُورِ الْمُحَرَّمَةِ وَيَعْرِفُ الْأُمُورَ الشِّرْكِيَّةِ حَتَّى يَتَجَنَّبَهَا This therefore indicates also that a Muslim must know what the haram is, what the haram things are, and what the affairs of shirk are, in order to be able to then avoid them. Because if you do not know what they are, you may end up falling into them unknowingly. And this is like that famous narration of Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. He said, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرِ مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي وَمَخَافَةً أَنْ أَقَعَ فِيهِ he said the people used to ask the Prophet ﷺ about the good things. All the good things and the good actions and the rewards. But he said, I used to ask him about the evil. I used to ask him about the evil affairs. The haram and the evil and the matters of that nature. Fearing that I might otherwise fall into them. This is the reason why he used to ask, 
the Prophet ﷺ regarding those evil affairs. He said, مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي أَوْ أَقَعُ Fearing that I may fall into them unknowingly otherwise. So he would ask what they were to be aware of them and therefore be able to take precaution from them. And the reason why Ash-Shaykh Al-Fawzan is emphasizing that point, he says, هُنَاكَ مَنْ يَقُولُونَ There are people who say, عَلِّمُ النَّاسَ التَّوْحِيدِ وَاتْرُكُ الْكَلَامَ فِي الشِّرْكِ وَالْكَلَامَ فِي الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ عَلِّمُوهُمُ الْخَيْرَ فَقَطْ وَلَا تُبَيِّنُوا لَهُمُ الشِّرْكَ وَالْأُمُورَ الْمُحَرَّمَةِ because there are people who say, teach people Tawheed, but forget about all this shirk and the affairs of shirk, and about the haram. Leave that. Just teach people the good. Teach people Tawheed. But forget about clarifying this shirk and these affairs that are haram and these matters. But that type of da'wah, that type of position... Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, هَذَا خِدَاعٌ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ That is, from the deception of the shaytan upon the people. لِأَنَّهُ لَا بُدَّ أَنْ يَعْرِفَ الْإِنسَانَ الْخَيْرَ وَيَعْرِفَ الشَّرْ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَعْمَلَ بِالْخَيْرِ وَيَتْرُكَ الشَّرْ Because a person needs to know the good, so you can do that, and he needs to know the evil, so that you can then safeguard yourself from it. وَاللَّهُ قَدَّمَ الْكُفْرَ بِالطَّاغُوتِ عَلَى الْإِيمَانِ بِاللَّهِ Even in the ayah, in the Qur'an, you notice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned disbelieving in the ta'ut That was given precedence in the ayah. Then having iman in Allah. So the evil was mentioned, then the good was mentioned. فَمَن يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِن بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ اسْتَمْسَكَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الْوُثْقَةِ Whomsoever disbelieves in the ta'ut, all of those that transgress the boundaries with Iblis at the head of them, Whomsoever disbelieves in them and believes in Allah, then he has taken the firm grasp. وَكَيْفَ يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَهُوَ لَا يَعْرِفُ Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, How can you disbelieve in the ta'ut if you don't know what the ta'ut is? You need to know what the ta'wagheet are what those are that transgress the boundaries with the head of them being Iblis, and then those different categories you've all come across in the three fundamental principles right at the end, the last thing, the statement of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioning the different types of ta'ut, Iblis at the head of them, and a person who is worshipped and is Pleased with it, مَنْ عُبِدَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ وَهُوَ رَاضٍ 
And somebody who calls the people to his own worship. Whoever rules by other than what Allah has revealed. And relevant to this chapter, somebody who claims to have knowledge of the unseen. They are from the heads of the tawaghit. So a person needs to know what these different affairs of Taghut are, what these harams are, what these different types of shirk are, in order to be able to safeguard yourself from them. Without any knowledge of them, you may end up falling into them unknowingly. So then... When they asked the Prophet ﷺ, what are these seven destructive sins? The first one at the head of them, the most major of all of the major sins, is of course a shirk. A shirku billah, wa huwa akbarul kabair. Shirk alongside Allah, associating partners to Allah, directing any aspect of your worship to others besides Allah, then you have associated partners alongside Him, and that is shirk, and that is the most major of all of the major sins. The most major of all of the major sins. And it is the greatest of the destructive sins. Shirk. The greatest of all of the destructive sins. And it is the greatest sin that can be sinned against Allah. The greatest sin that you can disobey Allah with, committing shirk. So then the shaykh says, وَمَا هُوَ الشِّرْكِ And what is shirk? الشِّرْكُ هُوَ عِبَادَةُ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ It is worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala بأن يصرف له شيئا من العبادة إما دعاء أو استغاثة that you direct any aspect of your worship to other than Allah whether it is making dua supplicating to others besides Allah seeking aid and assistance and relief from others besides Allah. Can يقول, like a person may say, Ya Sayyidi, Fulan, Aghithni, Ishfini min al Marad. Oh Sayyid, such and such. When they call upon these different people, Mawlana this and Sayyid this and whatever the people may be, that they call upon, And then they say, save us, give us relief from our difficulty, cure me from the illness, 
and they call upon these different people. You remember we mentioned the story a while back in Kashf Shubuhat, when that ship, a true story, maybe 20 years ago now, 25 years ago, uh, there was a ship that sunk, a shipwreck that occurred off the coast of Yemen. And some of the people on board survived. The ship sunk, something happened, the ship all went down, many of the people died, but there were some survivors. True story, 20-25 years ago, it was in the Arab news at the time. So the survivors, when the journalists and everybody were doing interviews with the survivors afterwards, what was it like, how did the ship go down, what happened? So these survivors... They were narrating all of the events of what happened, how it happened, how the ship sunk. They were describing everything. And one of the things they described when the reporters were asking them, so what was going on when the ship was going down? They said obviously people were panicking and screaming and shouting and people were making dua. This was a ship off the coast of Yemen. They were Muslims, if you want to generally say Muslims, that they uh, claimed allegiance to Islam. So they said there was panic on the ship and people were making dua. And so the reporters asked them, what kind of dua? What were the people saying? You know how reporters do. So they said people were making dua. And we heard everybody making dua when the ship was going down. And they were saying, Ya Badawi, save us. Ya Ali, save us. Ya Al-Husayn, save us. Al-Hasad, calling upon various different people. Various different, Ya Abdul Qadir Al Jailani, save us. They said, Yes, all of the people they were making dua, they were calling upon the people to save them. They were calling upon the Sayyid, upon the Mawlana. And this was reported from the survivors of that shipwreck that those people, when it was going down, were calling upon, were committing shirk basically. Committing shirk, calling upon these other individuals instead of calling upon Allah. So this is all from the forms of shirk, that you seek your dua to be answered, or you ask of it from others besides Allah. You ask for, for example, the shaykh says here, they go to the graves, and they go to the tombs and the shrines. يذهبون إلى القبور والأضرحة ويقولون يا سيدي فلان أنا بحسبك أغفني أو اشفني من المرض أو أعطني ولدا أو هب لي زوجة إلى آخره that they go to these tombs and graves of the dead and they make dua oh Sayyid such and such oh Mawlana such and such I am uh, uh, I am under your control that help me and give me relief and cure me from my illness, or give me a child, or bestow upon me a wife. And they go and make all of these du'as to the deceased and the graves and the shrines and the tombs. And so all of that is shirk. As well as that, كَذَلِكَ And we've done these in the previous chapters. Slaughtering for other than Allah. كَأَنْ يَذْبَحْ لِلْقَبْرِ أَوِ الْضَرِيحِ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يُعْطَى وَلَدًا Like people, they go and sacrifice at a grave or a shrine or a tomb, believing that via this sacrifice, 
they will then have their dua instead of getting a child. Maybe they cannot have a child, so they go and sacrifice at the grave making the dua, believing through this sacrifice for this inhabitant of the grave, that their dua will then be answered and they'll be given a child. نعم أو يدفع عنه البلاء أو يشفى من المرض So they believe that maybe the harm or the difficulty or some calamity, something bad will be taken away from them or diverted away from them or that their illness will be cured by going to these dead people and making dua to them. So they go there and they make vows and they commit all forms of shirk at these graves. فَلَيْسَ الشِّرْكُ مَقْصُورًا عَلَىٰ عِبَادَةِ الْأَصْنَامِ So just like we mentioned in Kashfa Shubuhat, shirk is not something restricted to idols. People think that shirk, it's just like the mushrikun when they used to worship idols. So people think shirk is just what the Hindus and people do. They have idols there and that's shirk. Shirk is not just idols. Shirk can be that a person goes to the grave of a righteous person, maybe in reality. Goes to the grave of a prophet in reality perhaps. But still by calling upon them, it is calling upon others besides Allah. And that constitutes shirk. فَبَلِ الشِّرْكِ فِي كُلِّ مَا صُرِفَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْعِبَادَةِ أَيًّا كَانَ الْمَصْرُوفُ لَهِ It is that you direct any aspect of your worship to anyone else, regardless of who or what that other item or thing or person is, besides Allah, you directing worship to it, it is shirk. Whether it is a sanaman or qabaran or shajaran or hajaran or ghayra dhalik. Whether it's an idol or a grave or a tree or a rock or other than that. And we know that a person who dies upon that shirk will not be forgiven. وَالشِّرْكُ لَا يَغْفِرُهُ اللَّهِ As Allah has said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not forgive that you commit shirk with him, meaning that you die without having repented. As for when you're still alive, then any sin can be forgiven, even shirk and kufr. If you're still alive and you seek repentance and you ask for forgiveness, then any sin, even kufr and shirk, obviously can be forgiven. الإسلام يجب ما قبله والتوبة تجب ما قبلها. Islam wipes out that which came before it, and your repentance wipes out what came before it. والمشرك لا يدخل الجنة أبدا. A mushrik will never enter paradise. ومأواه النار. And his end abode, residence, will be the hellfire. As Allah said, إِنَّهُ 
من يشرك بالله فقد حرم الله عليه الجنة ومأواه النار but whomsoever associates partners alongside Allah then Allah has made paradise haram for him and his abode his end residence will be the hellfire that is the first of the seven destructive sins the sin of shirk the greatest of sins the major aspect of da'wah the core of the da'wah that the prophets and messengers came to warn against that shirk and to call the people to tawheed the second one the second destructive sin is a sihr magic magic is mentioned as the second destructive sin لِأَنَّ السِّحْرِ كُفْرٌ وَشِرْكٌ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ Because as we said, magic, performing magic, engaging in magic, it is disbelief, it is kufr, it is shirk alongside Allah. وَعَطْفُهُ عَلَى الشِّرْكِ مِنْ بَابِ عَطْفِ الْخَاصِ عَلَى الْعَامِ Magic, is it not therefore an aspect or a type of shirk? We said last week, magic only occurs upon kufr and shirk. So then why mention magic as the second one in this hadith? Doesn't magic just come under category number one anyway? Isn't magic under the category of shirk. It is. So then why is magic mentioned when it's already covered under the category of shirk anyway? It is shirk. You can only perform magic after having committed kufr and shirk. But why mention it if it is part of the first category anyway? So you're saying because magic has lots of different narrations about it and situations and circumstances and rulings that it's been given its own mention in the hadith, maybe. This is very common in the ayat of the Qur'an, (coughs) in the hadith, in the sunnah. You will see this type of thing often. It is very common. That something general is mentioned first and then something specific is mentioned afterwards. So shirk generally covers every type of shirk. Magic is one specific type of that shirk. It is mentioning something specific after something general. And that's very common. It is very common for that to occur. For something general to be mentioned and then something specific to be mentioned. One of the reasons, and there's many for it mentioned by the scholars in different parts, 
One of the reasons for that is to highlight, I think that's what somebody said, highlight and emphasize that second point, to highlight it and emphasize it by giving it its own category, to indicate the severity of that particular type of shirk. Because if it wasn't given its own category, and it wasn't mentioned, it would just be within the fold of shirk, but no importance attached to it specifically, mentioning it to the people specifically. So by mentioning it specifically, it attaches a greater degree of importance to it. And that's often. You'll come across that often. There are many ayat where something general is mentioned first, and then a specific aspect of that is mentioned. Many hadith where something general is mentioned, then something specific of that aspect is mentioned. To highlight the importance of the specific one being mentioned. مَنْ كَانَ عَدُوًّا لِلَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَرُسُولِهِ وَجِبْرِيلَ وَمِكَائِلِ مَنْ كَانَ عَدُوًّا لِلَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ Whomsoever is an enemy to Allah and His angels. But then in the same ayah, a couple of words later, وَجِبْرِيلِ are they not from the angels? The angels have already been mentioned at the beginning of the ayah. The angels, all of them. But now all of a sudden there are specific names of some of them being mentioned. And that is for the same kind of reason. The general point of the angels has been mentioned. But then Jibreel, Mikael, etc. mentioned by name to emphasize them particularly. To emphasize Jibreel, Al-Amin, the one who brought down the revelation. To emphasize Mikael, to emphasize those angels specifically over and above the general uh, mention of them. So here, magic is mentioned as the second category specifically to highlight the severity of it, even though otherwise it comes under the first one as a form of shirk. وَإِلَّا فَالسِّحَرِ نَوْعٌ مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الشِّرْكِ لَكِنِ الرَّسُولُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ خَصَّهُ بِالذِّكْرِ وَعَطَفَهُ عَلَى الشِّرْكِ مِنْ بَابِ عَطْفِ الْخَاصِ عَلَى الْعَامِ مِنْ أَجْلِ الْإِهْتِمَامِ بِتَجَنُّبِهِ this is the phrase you'll hear, Atful Khas Alal Am. And they mention specific chapters in Usulul Fiqh going through that type of thing. Why do evidences do that? Why do they mention the general, then the specific, and what can be derived and extrapolated from that? So, here, generally, to give the importance to this affair. That's the point of the narration. Highlighting magic is one of the major sins, and we'll go through the rest of them as well to complete the explanation of the hadith. The third one mentioned, وَقَتْلُ النَّفْسِ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ To kill a person, 
to kill a person that Allah has made haram for you to take their life, except if it is with due right. النفس التي حرم الله هي نفس المؤمن ونفس المعاهد. The the soul the person whom Allah has made haram upon you to kill. Specific examples of that: a believer you cannot just kill another believer. The muahid, the disbeliever who lives under the covenant of the Muslim land. lives with a contract under the Muslim land uh, 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 and gives the jizya uh, or the ones who are under a contract with the Muslims, all of those types of people it is impermissible to go against, to take their lives. فَالْمُؤْمِنَ عَصَمَ اللَّهُ دَمَهُ وَمَالَهُ عَرْضَ The believer, Allah has safeguarded his blood and his wealth and his honor. فَلَا يَجُوزُ لِعْتِدَاءُ عَلَيْهِ So it is not permissible to transgress against a believer. Allah has safeguarded the wealth, the blood and the honor. People, they sometimes think of the blood, obviously I'm not going to kill anybody. The wealth of somebody, I'm not going to rob his wealth of him. But how easy the people fall into taking the honor of people. How easily the people, they fall into taking the honor of a person. The blood, okay, they're not going to kill anybody. The wealth, they're not going to go rob him. But the honor, it is a part of that. Preserved the blood, the wealth and the honor of a Muslim. So, it is impermissible to kill anybody like that, impermissible to transgress and murder and kill. And in the Quran it mentioned, or in the Hadith firstly, the Prophet said, أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أُقَاتِلَ النَّاسَ حَتَّى يَقُولُوا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَإِذَا قَالُوهَا عَصَمُوا مِنِّي دِمَاءَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَّا بِحَقِّهَا وَحِسَابُهُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ That I have been commanded to fight, to strive against the people until they say, La ilaha illallah. And if they say that, then they have safeguarded their blood and their wealth, except with due right, and their accountability is with Allah. In another narration, إِنَّ دِمَاءَكُمْ وَأَمْوَالَكُمْ وَأَعْرَاضَكُمْ حَرَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ كَحُرْمَةِ يَوْمِكُمْ هَذَا فِي بَلَدِكُمْ هَذَا فِي شَهْرِكُمْ هَذَا أَلَا هَلْ بَلَّغْتْ In that narration it mentions the Prophet said, Indeed your blood and your wealth and your honor are, are, are sacred, sanctified, meaning impermissible to transgress against, just like the sanctity of this day of yours in this land of yours, which land were they in at that time? Mecca, in this day of yours, day of yours, where were they? They were in Hajj, they were during Hajj. So this day of yours, in this land of yours, in this month of yours, Allah al-Ballaght, he mentions in the hadith, the messenger raised his finger and said, indeed, have I conveyed, have I conveyed the message to you? 
So these narrations highlight the impermissibility of transgressing against a believer. فَالْمُؤْمِنُ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ قَتْلَهُ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ So it is impermissible to take the blood of a believer except with due right. وَمَنْ يَقْتُلْ مُؤْمِنًا مُتَعَمِّدًا فَجَزَاؤُهُ جَهَنَّمْ خَالِدًا فِيهَا وَغَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَلَعَنَهُ وَعَدَّ لَهُ عَذَابًا عَظِيمًا That whomsoever kills a believer intentionally, then his recompense is the hellfire to remain therein forever. And Allah's anger is upon him and the curse of Allah is upon him. And Allah has prepared for him a severe torment. So the believer, the kafir even who is upon the covenant or is upon living with the contract and paying the jizya, etc. You cannot transgress against the people and take their lives and take their blood. Illa bilhaq, it says though, except with due right. When Islamically is there a due right to take somebody's blood? Self-defense. It's possible. In self-defense, the scholars mention Islamically, you are only supposed to defend yourself to the level of requirement. So if somebody comes with a little stick and starts beating you up, you cannot take a gun out and shoot him. There was no requirement for that. You can only defend yourself at the level of requirement to prevent that harm from yourself, to stop that harm from yourself, to the level of requirement. So that may not always be to that level. But there are some examples in the sunnah that tell you clearly where a right is due. One of them is if it got to that level, imagine now somebody killed someone. That person, the murderer, Islamically it is allowed to kill him then. Eye for an eye, one for another. This person has killed somebody, one soul for another. Then you are allowed to have that person executed. Unless the family of the deceased forgives him or accepts blood money. Otherwise, if they refuse all that, they can insist on having him killed. That is bilhaq. That is with a due right. That is known as al-qisas. The retribution. The retribution. An-nafsu bin-nafs. إِذَا قَتَلَ مُكَافِئًا لَهُ عَمْدًا عِدْوَانًا فَإِنَّهُ يُقْتَلُ قِصَاصًا as it mentions in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْقِصَاصِ فِي الْقَتْلَى And then also after that, وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاصِ حَيَاتِ يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Meaning that in this retribution, in uh, having that, uh, that type of punishment, which is for retribution in that way, then you preserve yourselves by having the murderer Uh, Upon the punishment of death, it prevents other people from committing that sin.
and it uh, uh, pushes back other people from doing that action. So that is one where the right is there. The murderer can have capital punishment implemented upon him. Also, Athayyibu Zani. Athayyibu Zani is a person who has married, he has married, he is married or has been married, and has uh, engaged in intercourse, and yet after that, he still goes and fornicates. That is different to a person who has never been married and never engaged in halal intercourse. This person has engaged in the correct and halal intercourse, is married or has been married, and yet he still goes out and fornicates. Then, it is permissible, the ruling is, to kill that person through stoning, through the stoning, to kill that individual. And that is once again, to preserve the honor of the people, to preserve the rights of the people. And also the third one, Somebody who apostates. المرتد وهو الذي ارتكب ناقضا من نواقض الإسلام فهذا يستتاب فإن تاب ورجع إلى الإسلام وإلا قتل مرتدا حماية للدين من العبث So a person who commits an action of apostasy and apostates from the religion such a person is supposed to be uh, spoken to and advised and commanded to repent from his action of apostasy, to return back and repent and seek forgiveness and drop that action of apostasy. If he does so, he accepts that and repents and seeks forgiveness and returns back from that action of apostasy then good, so be it, that's okay then. But if he refuses, refuses to repent and return back from that action of apostasy, then the ruler implements upon him the death penalty. The Muslim ruler under the Sharia law, under the land that is controlled by the Muslim ruler, not vigilante, by the Muslim rulers, by the law of the land, by the law of Islam, then he can implement the death penalty upon such an individual too. The fourth major sin mentioned here, aklur riba, interest. Interest, taking interest. Like in the banks, when they give you interest on your accounts, the savings account or whatever the accounts are, and they put interest on them, and other types of contracts when people arrange their contracts with interest involved in it, then those forms of contract and taking interest, it is haram and impermissible. Al-ziyada, the meaning of al-riba, lughatan al-ziyada. Riba is, uh, linguistically means an increase. Riba is an increase in something. زيادة مخصوصة في مال مخصوص 
to have an addition added on to a particular amount of wealth. If somebody says to you now, I will loan you a thousand pounds, you're desperate at the moment, I'll give you a thousand pounds, and you can pay me back in a year, but in a year I want one thousand two hundred. Haram! That two hundred now is interest, you are taking interest upon that loan, impermissible to do that, and it is impermissible, they mention in the books of fiqh, uh, different forms of contracts, that one there, that example there is obvious, haram, interest, but they have other forms of contracts, where a person may take interest, but with deception, contracts that have deception in them, an example they mention, a classical example in the books of fiqh, they say, this is the, the form of the example, not the exact one they give, but imagine now, you have person A and person B, person A has a car that he owns, person B is in poverty, he's got nothing, person B comes to person A who's rich, he's got, a, he's got cars and all sorts, person B is in poverty, has nothing, person B comes to person A asking for a loan, whatever the amount, a thousand pounds, person A can give him that, no problem, but what does person A benefit in giving this poor person a one thousand pound loan, and then that poor person is going to pay him back in six months time, one thousand pounds again. What is he benefited by offering this service to the poor person? That's the way the kuffar think. That's the way the business model works. That's how the economics work. That, what benefit? Why am I going to give you a thousand pounds and you're going to give me the same one thousand back in six months? I'll give you the thousand, but give me one thousand two hundred in six months. Then I'll give it to you. That's how they think. That's how it works. So now for person A, he's thinking the same thing. If I give you this £1,000 you're asking for, and then in six months we're agreeing, you're saying in six months you'll pay me back, and you're going to give me 1000 back, because Islamically I can't ask for 1200 of you. He knows that. So then what's he going to do? He doesn't want to give him the 1000 to just get 1000 back in six months. No benefit out of that, no business as far as he's concerned. So the rich man says to the poor man, he can't say to him, give me 1200 back, he knows that's haram Islamically. So the rich man says to the poor man, I'll tell you what, buy my car off me. So far it doesn't really make sense. The rich man says to the poor man, buy my car off me. I have a car at home parked in the garage, it's worth a thousand pounds. Buy that car off me now. The poor man buys the car. How though if he hasn't got any money? Buys the car with an agreement that he's gonna pay him the money for the car in six months time. He's gonna pay him that 1,000 pounds in six months time. So they've done the contract. The poor man has never seen this car. It's in the garage of the rich man's house. But they've made this contract, 
and the rich man has now sold his car to the poor man upon the agreement that the poor man is going to pay him that one thousand pounds back in six months time so far the situation is that the poor man has technically become even poorer then the rich man says to him I'll buy my car back off you right now the car hasn't even been seen not even uh, what did they say um, sold as seen not even sold as seen it's in the garage somewhere the rich man says to the poor man a minute later I'll buy my car back off you now for 800 cash right now the poor man says okay sold so now the car is now the possession of the rich man again and the poor man has in his hand 800 pounds and he owes the rich man in six months time the original 1000 so the rich man has given him a loan of 800 and made 200 profit on it everybody get the example the rich man sold the poor man his car for a thousand pounds the contract is the poor man is going to pay him in six months time the rich man says you the car's yours pay me in six months contract done the car is the poor man's car instantly after that the rich man says i'll buy it back off you now for 800 cash right now so he gives him the 800 cash and the car is now his possession again but now he's bought the car for 800 cash in six months time though the poor man still owes him the original 1000 for when he first bought the car all in all the car was never seen by anybody the keys probably weren't even exchanged all that was done was an item was inserted into the contract this car was inserted into the contract so that the 800 pounds loan the rich man gives the poor man doesn't look like a 200 pound interest when the poor man gives it back to the rich man in six months because ultimately that's what's physically happened physically the poor man has taken 800 in six months he's going to give back 1000 the car had nothing to do with it nobody ever saw the car that's in his garage at home somewhere that car was only inserted into the deal so that it looks like there's no interest the person can say no i sold him my car for a thousand then i bought it back off him for 800 individually those parts of the contract are completely okay sold you my car for a thousand and i bought it back for 800 alhamdulillah i'm a good businessman no problem with those contracts but the way it's been done there is nothing to do with the car that's just an item that has been added into it for the sake of it to split up those two amounts of a thousand and eight hundred so that it doesn't look like you're giving eight hundred to get a thousand back this the scholars they say it is interest haram contract you've only done that and inserted the item to get interest out of it so the point here is one of the destructive sins is interest and people always say what about the interest 
that is in the banks now, it's been uh, 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 accruing for some while. Some of the scholars like Sheikh bin Baz, they said you can take that out and give it for public services. There is a fatwa of Sheikh bin Baz, you can take it out and give it to public services. Like you give it to a Muslim country for the roads to be fixed in that country, a public service. But then obviously you have to stop it. Not that you carry on every year taking out the interest. You have to try and get the accounts where there is no interest involved. And they are difficult these days from what I hear. Allah alam. I remember 20 years ago, 20 more than that, uh, when I first opened up an account initially, uh, and it had interest in it. And then after a year or so, when I realized, went back, and this was a long time ago, went back to the bank, and I said to them, I need to change my account. I need to change it so that there's no interest in my account. So the worker at the bank, he didn't understand. He didn't understand my request. I said, my account, I don't want any interest in it. Just what I put into it, my money, that's it. I don't want any interest. It took a few minutes. He couldn't understand what I was asking for. He couldn't understand why I was refusing the free money they are giving me. It took a while. And then in the end, he started saying, but we don't have a system for that. We don't have any system for that. Why would anybody not want the free money? We have no system in place. I said, do whatever you have to do. He said, well, I could maybe somehow divert it so it doesn't go into your account and it goes somewhere else. I said, do whatever you want. However you want to divert it or whatever system you're going to use, just don't let it go into my account. And he couldn't understand, couldn't work it out. He said, we have no system for that. Why would we have a system to stop interest? Why would we have a system to not give customers interest? So here the point is, it is one of the major sins, taking that interest. Uh, uh, and that is mentioned as the fourth item here. And there are evidences the Sheikh mentions and various other uh, uh, ayat, etc. But interest as it is known is haram. Then the fifth one goes on to say, Aklu malil yatim, Taking the wealth of an orphan incorrectly taking the wealth of an orphan and using it and taking it for yourself uh, without due right. Uh, And the orphan Islamically is a child whose father has died. A child who has not reached the age of puberty yet and his father has died. Even if his mother is still alive, then that child is considered an orphan Islamically because in society now, they say an orphan is somebody whose parents have both died. But the reality here is Islamically, if a child under the age of puberty, their father has died, even if their mother is alive, they are considered an orphan. So Islamically, we've been told to guard over the wealth of an orphan and not to eat their wealth in haram, to take their wealth for ourselves and use it without uh, the due right. The next one, the sixth one, At-Tawalli Yawm Al-Zahf Meaning Al-Firar Min Al-Qitali Bain Al-Muslimin Wa-Kuffar Iza Hadar Al-Ma'raka Fleeing, turning your back and fleeing from the battlefield. Turning your back and fleeing from the battlefield when the armies meet 
then that is also a major sin. And once again, there are ayat in the Quran. And the seventh one mentioned, قَذْ الْمُحْصَنَاتَ الْغَافِلَاتَ الْمُؤْمِنَاتَ Falsely accusing somebody of fornication. Falsely accusing an innocent, chaste woman of fornication. That false accusation in that way is considered as one of the destructive sins, one of the seven mentioned in this hadith. So with this final one, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, الواجب على المسلم أن يحفظ لسانه The obligation upon the Muslim is that he safeguards his tongue. وَلَا يَرْمِي أَحَدًا بِالزِّنَا And not to accuse people of fornicating. أو بالليواق أو homosexuality. وَإِذَا قَضَى فَهُوَ لَمْ يُقِمْ الْبَيِّنَ فَإِنَّهُ يُجْلَدُ ثَمَانِينَ جِلْدَةً And if you make an accusation but cannot establish the evidence upon it, then that person is whipped 80 times. The establishment of the evidence is that you bring four witnesses testifying to the act of fornication having occurred. They say in the books of fiqh, there is not a single example ever of anybody having brought four witnesses to testify upon fornication to somebody. The reason as well, the scholars mention, the reason for that, four witnesses, is, back to what we said before, the preservation of honor. The preservation of honor. If it was one witness, maybe somebody corrupt comes along and says, I witness this and I witness that. Two people, maybe they go in collusion, we witness this, we witness that. But four people now, four independent witnesses needed before that can be affirmed. It is showing the great level of importance Islam gives to the honor of a person. That the honor of a person cannot be taken lightly. Four witnesses bring them if you want to establish this ruling upon a person. And so a person has to be careful with their tongue, the Shaykh says, and not fall into accusing people without having that evidence, without having that established proof. That brings us to the end of that particular narration regarding the seven destructive sins. The key from that narration was, of course, the second destructive sin, which is the sin of magic. That once again highlights the haram nature of magic, that it is mentioned as one of the mubiqat that destroys all of your actions and deeds and finishes you off, the action of magic, and it is one of the forms of shirk. That's what we'll stop on for today then. We'll carry on with the next hadith next week inshallah ta'ala. Next week is going to be the last class. And then after that, it's Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll try and finish as much of the chapter as we can. Uh, In fact, all of the chapter. We'll be able to finish this first chapter on magic next week, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions up to there?
also about Klarna, the new trend that's been happening. The new what? The what's it called? Klarna. You know, going head to head where you buy something and pay later in three or six months' time. <coughs> Buying something in installments. Many of the scholars, like a Sheikh Al Albani, they've mentioned that's permissible. Buying something on a fixed installment plan with no uh, extra fees and anything. For example, you come to me, you say you want to buy my car. I say to you, it's 5,000 cash right now. You say, but I haven't got that right now. I've only got two and a half at the moment. I say, okay, I'll give you three months to pay it off. But if you want three months to pay it off, then fixed fee, it's six grand. Give me the two and a half now, and three and a half, you've got three months to pay me. If that's what you want, you want to mess me around for three months for the money, no problem, but six grand for the car then. Fixed amount, six grand, and I'll give you three months or six months. Permissible, that is permissible. I can say to you, give me five grand right now, cash, you can take it if you can't. And then I have to wait around and you're going to give me installments and all the messing around. Okay, you can do it. But it's a fixed price of 6,000 pounds then. Give me the two or three now and I'll give you three months for the other two or three. That's permissible. Taqsif with a fixed amount. With these contracts that they give you, it's never like that though. It's always percentages and it's always late fees and all types of things that are in reality interest involved. The basic contract like that would be permissible Islamically, but the way that they do it with all of the interest and the percentages is not permissible. Late payment again, if it was a fixed amount, it's allowed, but it never is. The contracts that they give you are very rarely on fixed amounts with no additional costs, no extra interest, no rate of inflation even. Because remember, rate of inflation is also considered interest. The rate of inflation, as they explain it in economics, in their economics, they say like right now to buy this bottle of water, whoever went and bought it today, in the shop it's costing you 70p or something, 80p, a pound, whatever it costs. This bottle of water today costs a pound. In fact, uh, forget about today. Six months ago this probably cost, or 12 months ago, with all of the prices, the way they've been going up. 12 months ago, this was probably 50p. And now in the shop, it's maybe 80p. So in a year, the value of your money has decreased. A 50p coin, a year ago, you could go to the shop and pick up this bottle of water. Now you get a 50p coin out, and you can no longer get this bottle of water. This is 500 mil. You can only get a 200 mil now. So they say that's the rate of inflation. So if it was 50p then, it's 80p now, the rate of inflation, 30p more. Now that means a person, if he gives you a loan, 12 months ago, if you borrowed 50p from me, and now you're going to give it back to me, I could say to you, well, give me 80p back. Because the 50p you borrowed 12 months ago is now worth 80p. Because 50p 12 months ago, I could buy a bottle of water. But now it's 80p to buy the same bottle of water. So 80p is worth the 50p I gave you then. It's like those Greg's pasties I always remember. 25 years ago, you could give 50p and get a Greg's pasty and get change. Now you need three 50p coins to get one Greg's pasty. So they say this is the rate of inflation. 
how the value of money changes. On their contracts, even when they say there's no interest, they still have the rate of inflation involved. They'll still say, okay, no interest, but you've got to keep it in line with the ROI. And that is still interest. So if I now take 80p of you, for the 50p that I lent you a year ago, I've taken 30p interest off you. That is still interest. So you have to be very careful with the contracts that they offer, even when they say 0% and no interest. If rate of inflation is in there, which it will always inevitably be, they're never going to give you a fixed amount with no rate of inflation involved. So those are all types of interest as well. So you have to be very careful with these contracts. You have to read the terms and conditions very carefully to know if they are halal and permissible or not. No, no, you can't do. You can't interchange on those. Gold for gold, uh, wealth for wealth. It has to be same. You cannot interchange on those. Hmm. Hand in hand, as it says in the hadith. Anybody else? Anything else? Huh? Go on. Women becoming or uh, acting with masculine traits. Islamically, we know that a man does not resemble a woman, a woman does not resemble a man. To the extent, some of the scholars, and this is only some of the scholars as an opinion to highlight this point of differentiation, some scholars do not even think it to be permissible or, or a good thing for women to wear any types of trousers, even in the house, at home with your husband and your family. Some scholars, they have that opinion, that women shouldn't wear any type of garment that is of a trousers type. Even in your house, just in your house, when you go outside, then the women are going to change and wear the, the loose garments and everything, and the, 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 the upper covering, abaya, everything. But even in the house, some scholars have the opinion that they shouldn't wear any type of trouser type of uh, garments, jeans or trousers and those things, because they are supposed to be, or from their origin, those kinds of garments are men's garments. Some scholars have that opinion. So there is clearly a difference between the men and the women in the responsibilities, in the roles. nisa. The men are the ones who are the, the ones who safeguard over the women, and Islamically, the man has to provide the food, has to provide the garments, the clothing, has to provide the housing, the shelter, has to provide that infaq, that is the responsibility of the man. There are clear differences between the rights and responsibilities and roles of the men and the rights and responsibilities and the roles of the women. And so a woman doesn't try to become like the man. Neither in the roles and responsibilities, the woman doesn't say to the man, you stay at home, I'm going to go and work, and I'm going to go have the career, I'll bring in the money. That isn't the suitable way. Or that a woman takes on characteristics of the men in terms of, you know, behaviors, behaviors of men that are appropriate to men, then a woman doesn't take on those masculine behaviors 
just like a man doesn't take on feminine behaviors. So there is no doubt a woman and a man, they have their individual roles and they have their individual uh, characters that they remain upon. And a woman doesn't try to be like a man, a man doesn't try to be like a woman. That all goes down to, again, imitation of the opposite gender, which is haram and impermissible. That's why even with haircuts, the scholars, they say a woman cannot cut her hair so short that it's the length that men could have their hair at. A woman is allowed to cut her hair with the permission of her husband. Short, make it short if she wants, but not so short that it resembles the hairstyles of the men, as an example. And uh, the difference between the boys and the girls, these kinds of things are obviously all over the the society these days now with all of these movements and all of these ideologies spreading about uh, uh, there's no such thing as biological or uh, genders and gender neutral and gender fluid and anybody can identify as whatever they want to identify as. Everybody knows of all this discussion going on between them. It is of course all bartel and false. And the country, these kinds of countries, they give you the freedom of speech. So yes, if somebody has that issue with them, and they want to identify as whatever they want to identify as, they do that. Then you are not obliged, we are not obliged to affirm and to go along with that uh, that identity of theirs or whatever it is. A man comes along and says he's a woman. It's not upon me to now call him a woman. He's a man. I can see he's a man. And a man is other way around, woman, man. We are not obliged to do that. The society cannot oblige you to do those things. Uh, of course, it is being pushed and they are trying to. And teachers and those kinds of uh, individuals in those settings are punished by the law if they don't recognize the genders of students and those things. But that, that's, uh, you know, the discussion is there. We know it's incorrect Islamically. Uh, that, I mean, if anybody needs that clarification, it's a big problem. <laughs> the genders, we know the genders regarding the men and the women, male and female. Even when even the Christians and the Jews, they, you see many of them arguing against what is going on in society because it is against what is in the original or what, what is preserved and what they have from the Bible and the Torah, etc. Male and female that exists, yes. There is Islamically, it mentions in some of the texts about the hermaphrodites and those kinds of things, but that's a different discussion. It is not this thing about gender and identity and I feel like a man and I feel like a woman. That is simple and clear biologically. You have the men, you have the women, the male, the female, and then the issue of the hermaphrodite and those things, they do come in, they are mentioned in the sunnah, but that is not the discussion they are talking about in gender roles, or gender identities and things. Uh, parents have a big responsibility with their children on those topics. The parents living in this country, especially if your children are sent to schools, you have a big responsibility to make sure that your children are understanding these issues so that they are not led away into these corrupt ideologies of the people. What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all together because when you give the riba to somebody, you are now aiding them in 
haram. You have now participated in allowing this haram to occur. You are involved in that. Paying interest is also haram, just as receiving interest is haram. Um, the work, the only masjid that's relatively close to it is, uh, I think it's a Brailby masjid. Let's all go there for Jumaat. Not the Brailby mosque. Those Brailby mosques, they are a form of Sufis and they have uh, extreme beliefs. They believe in Shafa'a with the dead and, and, and types of things that we discussed in Kashf Shubhat, types of things we've been discussing here in Kitab al-Tawheed. So it is not suitable to pray behind them. If you have no choice, then you either look for another mosque you can go to. If you cannot, then pray in your workplace perhaps. Gather together the Muslims, but you can't pray behind the Brailwis usually. Most of the Brailwis by default have extreme beliefs in Aqidah. Is it the same for, because I'm not sure if it's Brailwi or um, Tablighi? Tablighis might, Allah alam, I mean they have still the same kind of thing with all the Shafa'a and uh, that book of theirs, what, uh, what do they call it? Fadail Amal. Fadail Amal is full of shirk. So these kinds of places are difficult to go into and pray. You have to try to avoid them if you can. Find some other place that isn't upon these Sufi ways. If there's standing on the Then pray by yourself perhaps, instead of joining them in the jama'ah. Because you don't know how severe they might be. Sometimes some tablighi mosques, they might not be that bad. But you don't know. Most of their aqidah is usually upon exactly what we were talking about in Kashf al-Shubhat, exactly some of these things in Kitab al-Tawheed. They fall into all of those kinds of errors with shafa'a with the dead and calling upon them and calling upon the messenger and all types of things. So better to avoid that, to pray yourself if you have to instead of the jama'ah with them. Any type of insurance is haram, not just life insurance. Because the concept of insurance is actually directly linked to this. When a person takes any insurance, life insurance or insurance on any other item, apart from what legally you have to do with the cars and things, but any other optional insurance you take, you are taking it because of your deficiency in tawheed. Your deficiency in your trust in Allah has led you to go pay that money in haram. In terms of transactions, it is a batil transaction, a false transaction to buy insurance. Because you are paying money and buying what? What are you buying? So for example, breakdown cover. You go now and you buy that, or you're walking into the supermarket and the guy stood there with his stall and he wants to sell you the breakdown cover. So you're going to pay him his 50 pounds or 100 pounds, whatever it is, what are you buying? 12 months of breakdown cover, what is it? So technically, really, the bottom line is you're only buying, as they even say it themselves, peace of mind. Peace of mind isn't an entity to buy. You're paying him that 60 pounds, and if nothing happens to your car in that 12 months, do you get your 60 pounds back? <coughs> Technically, you should get it back. They didn't provide you any service. Will they give it to you back? <coughs> no. You have paid your money for no tangible goods. You've paid your money for thin air on the basis of maybe if I crash or maybe if this happens maybe this maybe that 
you're buying nothing in reality. In reality, nothing. You go to the shop and buy the bottle of water, you're buying the bottle of water, you're handing over the money. You're getting something. With insurance, you're not getting anything in reality. If something happens, they help you. If it doesn't, you get your money back. No, you don't. Every year, that 60 pounds on this and that 100 pounds on this and 200 and that. Allah alam, how many hundreds of pounds some people pay on all of their different insurances, mashaAllah. Portfolio of insurances. And maybe after their 60 years of living and paying those insurances every year, goes into tens of thousands of pounds they paid in their lifetime. And that tens of thousands of pounds they paid, how many did they even claim? How many times did they actually make any claim? It won't be to the tens of thousands that they've added up after 50 years of paying insurances on every item they've got in their house. No chance. If it was, then insurance wouldn't be a business. Mathematically, it wouldn't be a business if there were going to be more claims than there are for the amount of money you pay for every customer or for the majority of customers. Insurance wouldn't be a business. It just wouldn't work then. They'd always be in loss. So they know that for every 10 people who buy this insurance, it's only going to be the one who claims nine will be profiting in our pockets for nothing. So insurance, when you're buying it from a transaction point of view, it's a false transaction. You're not getting anything in return. And that's in the chapter of transactions, buying and selling, when you go to the books of fiqh. Secondly, the deficiency in tawheed is there. It's because of your lack of tawakkul in Allah, your lack of trust in Allah, your weakness that you are, oh, I need to buy. What if something goes wrong? How am I going to afford the money if it goes wrong? If I break down, how am I going to get a, a, a tow truck and how much is that going to cost? And your fear and your lack of trust in Allah and the decree of Allah is causing you to pay that money. That's a deficiency in your tawheed. It's a deficiency in the tawheed of a person. That he has this weakness in his tawakkul in Allah, causing him to pay money for nothing, pay money for nothing. Because he thinks, what if it happens? What if this? What if that? How am I going to be able to afford it then? All that is a weakness in his tawakkul in Allah, his trust and dependence and reliance in Allah. So none of those things are permissible. Life insurance included. That what if something happens to me, then my family members and how are they going to live? And those things, again, it's your lack of trust in Allah. A believer has his dependence in Allah, makes his du'as every day, supplications of the morning, supplications of the evening, upon worship, obedience, his family upon worship and obedience, and does not fear something that doesn't exist, and then go spend his money in batil to cover himself from that fear. How are you covering yourself from that fear? What if you pay all of that life insurance? Then that company goes bust and bankrupt, your money gone, and no insurance, you die the next day, you got nothing out of it. You have your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not in insurances. Do not buy insurances. Put your trust in Allah 100%. And if something goes wrong, then the believer in any circumstance says, Alhamdulillah, if it happens, it happens. Pay your money at that time and, put, uh, uh, and thank Allah for whatever circumstance it may be. But don't live this life of fear. What if this is going to break and that's going to happen and this is going to happen? Somebody wrong me once for the washing machine. We see that you haven't activated, uh, I think this was a new washing machine, you haven't activated your extended warranty, the other one's going to run out, the one that we give you anyway. The one that they give you on product anyway, you can have that. 
when, when you buy a washing machine, they give you like two years, one year, whatever. It's in the price of the item when you buy it. You can have that. Make your claims in that year, whatever. But after that, they rung up, you said, your extended warranty. I said, I don't want it. I said, why would I want it? What if nothing even happens? You've taken my money. His reply was, but what if something does happen? I said, what if nothing even happens? You're going to just take my money for nothing. But what if something does happen? <laughs> and for everybody else, he knows that line will mean the... Oh, alright, go on then. So a person doesn't behave like that. You don't buy insurances for anything. Only where you have to legally... You have no choice like the car insurances and these things. <clears throat> Otherwise, nothing. You don't buy insurances on your phone and your laptop and whatever the items might be. Waste of money. Complete waste of money in Baati. No, that's okay then. If it's part of, you know, you go get a job, like in Arab countries especially, those places you, you, go, you get a job, as part of your job description, as part of the perks of that job, there's an insurance involved in it, like a health insurance or other things. That's in your package, the company's giving it to you, that's not none of your business. They've given it to you, you're allowed to uh, utilize that. Pensions, I don't know about pensions, that's a bit different because it depends on where they use the money, how they invest the money, there's other things involved. But these are like uh, perks of the job, sometimes they give you life, uh, certain types of health insurance and other insurances within your job, that's from the company. That's nothing to do with you, that's okay. But if I'm the employer, I won't be, I won't be allowed to uh, provide that If you're? If I'm the employer, then I won't be able to uh, provide that What do you mean? They want... I will be buying it if I'm the company. If you're the company? Hmm? And for my employees, I don't buy them life insurance. Mm-hmm. I won't be allowed to buy them life insurance. Then you shouldn't, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the owner, then you shouldn't be getting these insurances. Like I say, some of them you have to. Like here, if you, if you hire a community hall, imagine you want to hire a community hall to do an event. You have to, by law, have certain insurances. Uh, I forgot what they call them now. Public, huh? public insurance. Public insurance. Public liability public. insurance. You have to have them by law. They don't give you the whole otherwise. Things like that where you have no choice, you have to buy them. But otherwise, you don't buy anything. You don't offer anything. It's not uh, permissible or correct to be involved in insurances otherwise. All right. Oh. oh, yeah, go on, yeah. You got it? I'm asking if it's the, um, if they wonder if the, the person who died said that forgery happened from him. Sort, maybe you could say, but there's a, a different one actually. It's not that one. Remember, there was a homework about Al Jarh al Ta'adil. Uh, there's an example from the time of the Prophet ﷺ where he, inverted commas, refuted someone. There was an example, but that, that's not the example. There's another example. Not Musaylama either. Musaylama, clear, kafir. But uh, uh, like uh, inverted commas, refutation. On a Muslim, they say there's an example from the Prophet ﷺ. But you can keep looking. That's another example they give. One particular example they always quote in the books of hadith. But uh, we'll leave it about today then. Continue next week, inshallah.